pause and think about the many, many uh, ultimate sacrifices that have been uh, given for this country and for our freedoms, Father. May we ever be grateful and, and remember. And Father, keep our eyes on you because you are the true author of true freedom. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You know, uh, greetings from, from Venezuela, Amazonas, Venezuela. Uh, this was a, Venezuela was a rich, rich, still is in natural resources, very, very rich country. They have gold, they have diamonds, they have silver, uh, and they are sitting on the number one largest oil reserves in the world, and yet their people are starving, and, and uh, there's nothing in the hospitals, and it's just, it's just, it's, it's just so sad, and uh, we're being stretched to the, to the breaking point with all the many, many needs and, you know, I was reminded by a, uh, a story that first-term missionaries, I mean, uh, um, veteran missionaries would tell first-term mis missionaries, and they would say, you know, the first, uh, first, you can tell, you can spot a first-term missionary by how he drinks his coffee. The first-term missionary, if he spots a bug in his coffee, he will get up, pour his coffee out, rinse the cup out, wash the cup out, and then put that cup away, and then get a new cup and pour himself a fresh cup of coffee, and finish drinking his coffee. A second-term missionary, on the other hand, if he spots a bug in his coffee, well, with a little grimace of self-pity, will pick up a spoon and spoon the bug out of the coffee, throw the bug out, and finish drinking his coffee. Now, a veteran missionary, on the other hand, a third-term missionary, will find the bug, eat the bug, <laughs> frantically search for another bug, <laughs> and uh, continue on. But you know... After 38 years, I still don't fit the stereotype for a <laughs> veteran missionary. Uh, not too long before we came back, I found a bunch of bugs in my coffee. I'd, I'd made it before I put my glasses on, and, uh, and I, like, I like milk in my coffee, and I'd put milk and sugar in my coffee, and I spun it up really nice, you know, and there was all these bugs floating on it. And, you know, in socialist Venezuela now, the three hardest things to get our coffee, sugar, and milk. So, uh, but yet I had to pour out my cup of coffee. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, and then, right before we came back, I had an old guy come up and ask for a bag of rice, and his wife was sick, and so we always tried to help the sick people, and, and uh, so I gave him a bag of our carefully hoarded stash, and he looked at it, and turned and handed it back to me, and I said, what? And he pointed, pointed the bugs in the rice. And with a very straight face, I said, uh, it's better this way. It comes with its own meat supply. <laughs> he wasn't amused. But uh, anyway, you know, uh, God, has, God has continued to give us an open door in Venezuela. And you know, it's, it's not because of who we are. We know that. But it's because of who God is that he continues to give us an open door. And to be honest, we've seen, we've seen more Yanomama get saved come to a saving knowledge of Christ in this last uh, 10 years and possibly the previous 50 years put together. So um, um, for some reason, like I said, God has given us an open door and we're just uh, more than happy to, to continue to work there. And, but pray for the country. The country's going through a terrible time. Um, uh, we keep thinking that, you know, five years ago, if you would have asked me, I said, it can't get any worse. Well, I look back on those days as decadent high living. But uh, it still continues to get worse, and, and, and we don't know what's going to happen day to day. But pray, uh, pray for the situation and pray for us. Because, you know, um, I'll illustrate this with a story. 
when you're talking to somebody and trying to share the gospel with them, if they never come to the realization of how lost they are, they can never get saved. They can never, you never can put them to a point where they realize that they need to be saved if they do not realize they're lost. And this point was brought home to me in a physical way one day. I was out hunting with a group of guys and, and, uh, and we, we were out in the jungle and we, we shot a bunch of spider monkeys. And I never take spider monkey home because my wife refuses to cook it. So I, the bunch of the guys that were with us that got, got monkeys, they started bending their way on back to the, towards the boat. And remember, we're in trackless jungle. Uh, the Yanomama are just amazing in the jungle. They just get out walking, and, and, and whatever time you tell them to be back at the boat, they bend their way and come back, and they make a circle, and they're right back at the boat. Well, th another guy didn't have any, any meat. We didn't get enough for him, and I wasn't carrying anything, so we decided to bend our, tr our circle a little bit bigger and try to scare up some turkeys or something, and we took off, and a huge storm came up. And most Yanomama in the jungle, w during a big, heavy rainstorm, will stop for a number of different reasons. First of all, in the wind and the, the, you know, the trees are breaking, limbs are breaking, and it's dangerous. But Lucas and I were, we'd realized our circle was a little bit too big and if we were gonna make it back to the boat before dark, we had to, we had to keep going. Well, finally a huge branch, I, it, honestly it was half a tree, fell and almost got us. So we stopped and we, we took shelter in the, this huge jungle giant of a tree and uh, the buttressing roots there, we were kind of hid be in, 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 into these roots and, and waited out the storm until the, the wind quit, but the, the, the thunder and crashing lightning and, and, and everything quit, but the rain was still drizzling and you, it was just, it was almost uh, like twilight in the jungle, but that's how dark it, it, it had become. And we were like, like noon. And, and, uh, and so we, we started walking again and Lucas started walking and, and I said, I said, Lucas, you're going the wrong way. He said, why? I said, the boat's back that way. And he said, uh, he said, Mike, he said, who's the Yanomami? <laughs> I had to admit it was him, but I said, you're still going wrong. And he just laughed and chuckled never as we kept walking his way. He kept chuckling as we were going along, you know, and every so often he'd say, where's the boat now? And I'd say, well, you know, and, and he'd laugh. He just had such a good time with that. Well, we walked and walked and walked and walked, and all of a sudden I noticed another one of these great big huge jungle trees, just huge mammoth trees standing there. And, you know, I'd studied the other tree the time we'd spent there uh, huddled under uh, by its roots enough to where I'd practically bonded with the thing. So uh, all of a sudden I realized it's the same tree. <laughs> and I said, Lucas, here's where we rested out the storm. He said, what do you mean? I said, right there is where we were standing. Look. And he looked and, and uh, he said, uh, Okay, he said, where's the boat? I said, how do I know? You're the Yanomama, remember? <laughs> and, uh, and so he said, okay, well, let's get, the, let's get to a little bit higher ground, and I'll climb a tree, and I'll see if I can spot the river. That way we can, we can get to the river. And, and uh, so we got to higher ground. He's made a vine that they use for their feet. He starts shinning up this tree as fast as I'm telling it, and he was passed into the second canopy, and into, I could no longer even see him. A little bit later, he comes sliding back down the tree, and he... He, uh, he says, well, he said, the clouds are too low. I couldn't actually see the river. He said, but the ground generally slopes down that way. He said, the boat, the river's probably that way. So we took off running. Now we're, you know, we're not panicked yet, but we really would like to find the river. And, and, uh, and so we took off, and I don't know how long we ran. All of a sudden, we came across where our, our path intersected another, I say path, it wasn't a path, there's no, no trails in the jungle, it was just a place where it was obviously a couple guys had walked 
through the jungle since the rain. It was obvious it had been since the rain. So we thought, for our first thought was we'd come to the trail of the guys that, we had, that had, were ahead of us. So we started uh, studying out real good and, and starting to walk down the trail, and all of a sudden we both came to the realization that it was our trail. <laughs> and uh, we were going in circles again. And by that time, we, were, we were, didn't really know what to do. We stood there for a minute, and all of a sudden, I heard an airplane coming. And back then, in that time and place, the only airplanes flying in the jungle at that time was Missionary Aviation Fellowship flying for us. And so if there was an airplane in that, that area, it was Missionary Aviation Fellowship. And I knew the, I knew the uh, schedule for that day's airplane flights. I knew it was taking off in the morning from Puerto Ayacucho, flying to Tamatama, flying to Parima, and then in the afternoon coming back from Parima to Tamatama and on, it, on back out. And I knew exactly, I've flown that, that route many times, I knew exactly where that airplane crosses the Orinoco River on its way from Parima to Tamatama. It was right below where we parked our boat. I said, Lucas, that airplane's coming from Parima, it's going to Tamatama, and it's going to pass, it flies over right at Tigre, and we, we're, you know, let's just run out the way that airplane's coming, and we'll get out to the river. Now, I knew where we were going. And I, I mean, we just booked as hard as we could go. And Lucas is very happy to follow my directions now, because I know where I'm going. Well, guess what? I thought I knew where I was going. What I didn't know at that time was that the same rainstorm that had, that had gotten us lost had delayed the airplane. So now instead of going from Parima to Tamatama, it's going from Tamatama to Parima. So guess which direction we're running? We're going the opposite, absolute opposite wrong way. My faith was good. I knew the schedule. I knew where we were going and we were running as hard as we could run but we are running the absolute wrong way. My faith made not one bit of difference to the fact that I was wrong. And you know, your faith is only good if your information is accurate. And uh, it's a long story. There was jaguars and there was this and there was that and, and uh, uh, a night that lasted for an eternity. And, and uh, I wrote about it in my first book called Growing Up Yanomamu. But what I want to say right now is the next morning something absolutely amazing happened. It happens 365 days a year. The sun came up. And you know, when you're three degrees north of the equator, that sun comes up in the east 365 days a year. You can take that to the bank. Knowing where east was, knowing where the sun came up, we could use that as our reference point and, and made, we, we walked back out to the river. The sun is an absolute. You can take it to the bank. It doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing or whatever. That sun rises where it rises, and you, you, can, you can have your confidence in it. And, you know, for our lives here today, God's word is our absolute. And I know there's a lot of people that say you can do this, and it doesn't matter about this. It doesn't matter how you were born. It doesn't matter who you are. You can be this, and you can be that. And nine judges on a bench or five judges on a bench can decide that this is right, you can do this. No, it's not. No, it's not. The Bible is our absolute. And the Bible, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And, you know, uh, that's an absolute that we can, we can pretty well uh, uh, bank our lives on. And, and uh, I think for, for me, having been physically lost, 
I have a, I have a lot, of, a much greater urgency for people whom I know to be spiritually lost in, in trying, to, trying to reach them. You know, uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 and 4 says, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. And uh, not too long ago, uh, my wife, Kayla, and, and myself, and my mom, and, and Sharon, and Faithy were sitting around the table, and, and we were just talking and reminiscing, and, and we got to talking about Yanomama and their near-death experiences and stuff that we'd heard about. And, uh, and I remembered this old guy, Justo. He was, a, he was a man that was probably in his late teenage years when his parents first got there. He'd already been initiated into the world, world of, of being a shaman. And, and uh, uh, Dad set up a real rapport and a real friendship with him that lasted all their lives. Uh, but but this, man, this man never would give up the power that he knew for a power that, that Dad knew. And, and although Justo could describe heaven in incredible detail, it was all, it belonged to the enemy God. And he, he didn't, he, he just could not get past that. And I remember one time we were, Gary and I, I was sitting in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, he happened to come to one of our conferences and I was sitting right next to the old guy and there were Yanomama guys getting up and, and sharing their testimony about their new life in Christ. And I could see this old guy fidgeting and it was just, I, I, I could just see the, he wanted to get up. And so Gary slid over in the seat beside him and on the bench beside him, he said, uh, he said, uncle, he said, don't you think it's time that you, that you give up and you give your life to God? And the old guy nodded his head and, and all of a sudden he kind of resolved himself and he said, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. And uh, he said, they won't let me. And so, uh, so we, we, we dropped it. We just sat there silently with him until the end of the service. And, and uh, the next morning we were disappointed to hear that he was leaving. There were still three more days to the conference. But he was, he was going to leave. So uh, Gary and I both walked down to the port, and we stood there with him, talking with him. Before he got in his boat, we said, uh, uh, Shraba, we're really, Uncle, we're really disappointed that you're leaving, that you're going home. He said, my hekura, my demons, were up all night long. And he said, they were just crying, begging me not to throw them away. And so he said, to keep them quiet, to keep them happy, I'm going to go home. And uh, we said, man, you're making a big mistake. And he just stoically got in his boat, and they, they paddled on around the bend out of sight. A number of years later, I was up the o o uh, Okamo River, and as I'm coming back down passing Justo's village, he was frantically waving me over and waving me over, so I turned around and went back to, his, went back to, his, to, his, to his, the steep bank where his village was, and he was just beaming, this huge smile on his face, and he says, Mike, you, I've got Jesus. And I said, well, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I said, uh, but something bothered me about his, the after effects of a very recent drug trip were very obvious out of his nostrils. And I said, Shabit, what happened? How do, you, how do you know you have Jesus? He said, I was out in the jungle and this bright, immensely bright light came and out of this light stepped this, this person and he said, I'm Jesucristo and I've come for you. And he said, he's, he's in my heart right now. He's in my, he was so happy to tell me. And I said, Shoabe, uncle, but where are your demons? Where are your hekura? Oh, they're all there together. They're so happy. They like him. They said, and I said, no, no, you're wrong. 
I said, those demons used to be in heaven, but they were, they were kicked out of heaven because of their sin. There's no way that God's son, holy son, is going to share your chest with your demons. You're deceived, and he would, he would never see it. And uh, a few short months later, we got word that he had died. And uh, unless, unless the Lord got, at, got to him right before he breathed his last, I'm afraid our dear friend Justo is in hell today. And uh, uh, to contrast that, there was a boy that I grew up with, really, really good friend, really good friend. He accepted the Lord as a young man and uh, just a, a powerful witness for the Lord in his village. He was from Serukuraltari. And, and uh, one day he just dropped off the deep end and he turned his back totally on the gospel and, and uh, I heard that he'd become a witch doctor. And I was devastated because the normal for us working with the Yanomamu is justo. You know, you, you, you weep over them, you cry over them, you beg them, and you, you, you try to get them to see. But the power of, of Satan is so great in their lives that so many times they don't see it. And they don't, their, their eyes are so blinded. And, and, uh, and so I heard that Carlos had become a witch doctor. And that just, that bothered me. I can't tell you how much that bothered me because I truly believed Carlos was a believer. And I, I was disappointed that I could have been so deceived because, again, I did not believe that a true believer could ever become a witch doctor. And so uh, one day, I hadn't had, hadn't any uh, uh, dealings with Carlos for years. He just refused to come around. And one day, his wife got stung by a large, giant stingray and, and he brought her down, and I, he was sitting out by his son's house, and, and uh, they were treating his wife down at the medical dispensary. And I, I don't do anything medical, but I at least walked over and said, said hi to Carlos. And I said, hey, come on over to the house. Let's ha I'll put some coffee on. Let's, let's just chat for a little bit. So he came over, and, and after a little bit of small talk, I said, how are you doing, Carlos? He said, you know, I'm not doing very good. I said, yeah, I heard you became a witch doctor. And he got a funny look on his face, and he said, you know, he said, I really did try, but I, real, I, I did not become a witch doctor. I said, what? I said, everybody says you're a witch doctor. He said, yeah, everybody thinks I am, but I'm not. He said, this is what happened. He said, I was being initiated. He said, these demons came. And he said, they stopped before they got too close. And he pointed to something about as far as that, 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 that stand standing there. And he said, they walked all around me. And I, I was just, I was watching them, curious why they weren't coming any closer. And they just walked all around me. And he said, I, I listened to them talk. And they said, we can't go any closer than this because that light is still there. And uh, he said, every night it was the same thing. And he said, finally, they just got tired of trying. And he said, I told the, the, my mentors, the people that were initiating me, that the demons were stopping. They weren't coming. And that they said something about a light. And so every day, he said, they almost killed me with drugs trying to put that light out. And every night those demons would keep coming and that light was still there. So finally they just quit coming. He said, people think I'm a witch doctor, but I'm not. He said, I don't have any demons. My the heck would I don't even bother. They don't even come. I said, Carlos, what was that light? What do you think that light was? He said, oh, that light was God's spirit that I still have. I said, what are you going to do, Carlos? And he said, just pray for me. Well, this was in 2009 that we had that conversation. 
And we went and went and went and went, and he's still chanting, and everybody still thinks he's a witch doctor. And I don't know if I'm, I'm free and privileged to tell people, hey, see, he's just, he's just fooling you guys. Because what he told me was kind of in confidence, you know, and so, so uh, I didn't say anything. I'm just thinking, God, what, you know, what's going on? Well, last year, Carlos almost died, and his son thought he was dying and, and went up to his village and, 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 and sat down with him and said, Father, you're dying. You need to make yourself right with the Lord. And, and, and uh, Carlos said, my son left. And he said, a little bit later, a couple days later, he said, I was, I was in my hammock, too weak to even get up. I couldn't even get out of my hammock to relieve myself. He said, I was dying and I knew it. And all of a sudden he said, I, I heard this voice tell me, you get your life in order because you're dying. This is it. Your, di- your days are finished. And he said, I don't know if it was just because of what my son said, told me, or what, what it was, but he said, I swear I heard that voice. And, and I, I looked at myself and I realized what a wasted life I had had. My life was wasted. And if this was it, if I was truly dying, what a way. He said, I began to weep because of my wasted life. And I told God, I said, God, you can heal me if you want to, but even if you don't, forgive me. I'm so sorry I wasted my life. And he said, uh, I fell asleep. He said, my wife woke me up by dumping a big uh, basket of firewood on the ground. And uh, he said, I had to use the restroom. So I got up without even thinking about it, got up, walked out, of the, walked out of the house and came back in. My wife's eyes are this big, you know. And, and I said, uh, I said, man, I, I, I'm really hungry. So she fixed me some food. And he said, I came down here to tell you guys that I've returned my life to Christ. And and that light that was still shining in my light so long ago is brightly shining now. And I want to live. He said, I don't know how much time God added to my life, but I want to tell you all that, that uh, I'm, I'm a child of God and, and I'm happy to be here and I want the rest of my life, the rest of my days to count for him. And folks, that's why we're down there. That's why you all send missionaries to, to, to the uttermost parts of the earth so that people that are in bondage to Satan can come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And what an awesome God we serve who's full of compassion and he loves us so much that he's willing to, to, to continue there with his hand outstretched for us. And you know, the, the Yanomama know. They know about heaven before missionaries ever got to them because we've been told, anthropologists say, what gives you the right to take a Western God to these to these people. They have their own gods. They're happy. Leave them alone. And uh, that used to bother me when I was a little bit younger, but now I'm old and cantankerous and it doesn't bother me anymore. Uh, But also, I realize it's not a right that I have to take the gospel. It's a command that we've all been given to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And you know, for, for, for us taking a, a Western gospel to the Yanomama, no. They can describe, and I've told you all here before, they can describe heaven in incredible detail. The crystal sea, and they'll even tell you, the witch doctors will say, if you could but dip your hand into that water and put it up to your mouth, you would never die. That water has everlasting properties, they'll tell you. And they'll say the streets are made, and they don't know what gold is, but they'll say it looks just like that. The streets look just like that. And, and they'll say that where the supreme being sits, where Yaiwanonaburewa, the enemy God sits, there's a rainbow around it. And there's beings that sing to him all the time. They say it's just beautiful. But they'll always say, we can't go close 
We can only see it from far away. And the first time a witch doctor told me that, I said, I said, why can't you go close? I figured they're Yanomama, a warring tribe. They're warring all the time. I figured they would say, well, the supreme being, he's an enemy. He sends his beings out and they chase us away. But no, they've never, ever said that. And I've talked to dozens of witch doctors about this. They always say, the light is just too unapproachable. Isn't that beautiful? Because we're told in, in, in Timothy that God alone is holy and dwells in unapproachable light. And the part of the puzzle that we're telling them, we're not telling them about a Western God. They know, they know God. They have a name for him. He's called the enemy God because there's real enmity between their spirits and God. But we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that they which, which believe on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the part they don't know. They know God. They know the, 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 the almightiness of God and the supreme beingness of God. They just don't know that this God loves them. And that's the part that we're there to tell them. And one last thing, really quick. I was traveling down this river, and I had my headphones on. I was listening to this song. It was holy, holy, holy. And you know that, that middle verse says, holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eyes of sinful man thy, thy glory may not see. Well, I stopped at this village because I have a good friend there, climbed up the steep muddy bank, and I talked with him for a while, and this old man walked up, and I could tell from his eyes that he was a witch doctor. And so I started talking to him and did about this and that, got around to talking to him about, about God and, and who God was and what God had done and, and sending his son Jesus. And, and I talked to the old guy for quite a while, and finally he, he kept nodding his head and nodding, and nodding his head, and finally he said, oh, he said, you're talking about the one who can't be seen who won't be seen. And I'd just been listening to a song that said, though the darkness hide thee, though the eyes of sinful man, thy glory may not see. That old witch doctor knew exactly who I was talking about. And I'd love to say he got saved, but sad to say he did not. But at least the seed was planted. So continue praying for us as we're, we're down there working with a tribe that's been extremely difficult to reach with the gospel. But the ones who have been reached, the ones who have had a life-changing experience, boy, they are, they are incredible witnesses for the Lord. So pray with us. Pastor, I'll leave it back with you.